This podcast is an invitation to feel and experience the souls of famous old Hollywood homes and to have an in-depth journey to the areas where they're located through interviews with longtime residents. Either you're a fan of old Hollywood in Los Angeles, planning to have a vacation, or an even bigger step, considering a certain area for your future home. This is your opportunity to receive valuable information and insightful advice you won't find anywhere else. Hello, hello, and welcome to my podcast. Are you in the mood for California? Today, we'll explore and feel the Beverly Hills Hotel, followed by an interview with legendary Yona Kunstler Nadelman and her incredible daughter, Selena Nadelman, who will share with us what it feels like to live in Beverly Hills. I feel that Beverly Hills is a true community, that when things happen that need attention from whoever, whether it's neighbors or whether I find it to be a community of people who care. Masha Korpacheva is a California-based realtor and a member of the National Association of Realtors in Los Angeles. She's an advocate for selling and buying homes with soul and practicing mindfulness in real estate. With master's degrees in spiritual psychology and linguistics, Masha brings all of her skills to work with her clients. An intuit and empath, she has touched many lives with her outstanding ability to see beyond the visible and helping to come to better understanding of issues and their resolutions. An adventurous world traveler, from climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania to exploring the Galapagos Islands, Masha has a particular passion for the City of Angels. Having landed in this paradise and adopted it as her home, she's been sharing old Hollywood stories since 2007. In the mood for California, feel the soul of old Hollywood. And now, are you ready to feel the soul of the Beverly Hills Hotel? Once upon a time, nestled halfway between the bustling city of Los Angeles and the enchanting allure of the sea, there lay a vast bean field. It was an untouched stretch of land, remarkable for its rich sources of water, which would play a great role in shaping its destiny. On the fateful day, May 12, 1912, a magnificent structure opened its doors to the world, defying all expectations. The Beverly Hills Hotel was born. The vision for this grand edifice belonged to a shrewd land developer named Burton Green. Undeterred by skeptics, Green enlisted the help of a talented architect, Elmer Gray of Pasadena, to bring his dreams to life. Together, they set out on a daring undertaking, constructing a hotel unlike any other for the staggering sum of $500,000, which is roughly $16 million in today's money. The result was a breathtaking masterpiece, 
crafted in the splendid Mediterranean revival style. Its walls were painted a delicate shade of pink, earning it the endearing nickname of the Pink Palace. But more than its striking appearance, the hotel had something truly remarkable within its walls, the spirit of hospitality. Burton Green knew that for his venture to succeed, he needed the finest minds in the hotel industry. And so he found the perfect stewards in Margaret J. Anderson and her son, Stanley. Their reputation for unparalleled service and their commitment to making every guest feel truly special had become the staff of legends. In a bold move, Burton Green offered ownership of the hotel to Mrs. Anderson on the condition that she would run it for a number of years. Recognizing the potential in this grand establishment, she embraced the opportunity with fervor. Her motto became the guiding principle of the hotel. Guests are entitled to the best of everything, regardless of cost. Word of the Pink Palace spread far and wide, attracting visitors from all corners of the world. As the hotel's reputation grew, so did the surrounding area. The wise developers had birthed a whole city around their magnificent creation. Beverly Hills, once a mere name on a map, became synonymous with elegance, glamour, and prestige. Decades passed, and the hotel remained a haven of luxury and opulence. In 1987, a new chapter unfolded when the Sultan of Brunei acquired the Beverly Hills Hotel for $110 million. Determined to preserve its historic grandeur, the Sultan embarked on a meticulous restoration project that spanned two and a half years costing around $100 to $125 million. The hotel emerged from this metamorphosis even more resplendent than before. Through the years, the Beverly Hills Hotel became enmeshed with tales of fame and artistry. The iconic Eagles song, Hotel California, drew inspiration from the stories whispered within its hallowed halls. The image of this majestic establishment graced the cover of the album of the same name, forever intertwining its history with the realm of music. Today, the Beverly Hills Hotel remains a sanctuary of elegance, a testament to the power of vision, hospitality, and the human spirit. As I walk in, I'm greeted by an atmosphere that transcends time. There is an undeniable magic, a tangible aura that envelopes the hotel and fills the air with a sense of greatness. It is as if the essence of its first owners, Margaret J. Anderson and Stanley, still lingers within the walls. Their unwavering dedication and belief and the power of service resonates through every nook and cranny, embracing all who enter. 
The Beverly Hills Hotel is not merely a building. It possesses a soul. This extraordinary establishment stands as a shining example of the transformative power of a hotel. It not only shaped the destiny of an area, but also carved its own indelible mark upon the world. Beverly Hills, once a humble locale, has ascended to the ranks of the most prestigious places on earth, all thanks to the vision and dedication poured into the Pink Palace. As I reflect upon the history of the Beverly Hills Hotel, I'm reminded of a timeless truth. When we infuse our endeavors with a piece of our soul, when we do things with passion and purpose, success becomes an inevitable companion. The Pink Palace stands as a testament to this profound philosophy, an enduring beacon of inspiration for generations to come. And here we are. Welcome to Beverly Hills. I'm so honored to have Yona Konstler Nadelman and her daughter, Selena Nadelman, here with me. Yona Kunstler Nadelman was only five years old when the bleak years of World War II began and Nazi Germany occupied Poland. Separated from her parents, Yona left Poland, grew up in Paris, came to Los Angeles in the mid-50s and created a new life as a fashion designer. She also represented actors and writers in the film industry and volunteered for many organizations such as the University of Judaism, now the American Jewish University, and the National Kidney Foundation, creating events. She resides in Beverly Hills with her two children and four grandchildren. Selena Nadelman is a cancer biopsy doctor. Dr. Nadelman is one of the few doctors in the U.S. to serve as a board-certified cytopathologist and fine needle aspiration specialist. Yona and Selena will share with us what it feels like to live in the heart of Beverly Hills. Hello, everybody. So today we're having an interview with two amazing ladies, mother and daughter, Yona and Selena. And uh, we'll be talking about Beverly Hills. And they've lived here for quite some time. And uh, let me ask Selena uh, first, how would you describe Beverly Hills to someone who has never been here? So Beverly Hills is actually a small town within a large city. People don't quite get that. They just think of it as a wealthy town, a famous town, a town full of celebrities. And I guess they imagine the streets paved with gold and uh, Rodeo Drive being the entire street that encompasses all of Beverly Hills. But actually, Beverly Hills is like a small town. I grew up here and I've lived here most of my life. And most of the people that I know have also grown up here and we've maintained close friendships and relationships. And um, it's just like any other small town, except it has the name 
and it has the location, especially the proximity to Hollywood and all the famous uh, glitz and glamour that goes with it. And back in the day, it became famous for um, celebrities and the wealthy to come and um, make their homes here. But in, in actuality, it's just like a small town. You know, you get to know your local grocer, you get to know your local dry cleaners, you go to your favorite uh, little uh, coffee shop and know all the waiters and waitresses and they know what you want to drink. And I would say maybe the post office isn't as like uh, as much as a, a, a small town feel, but most of the other places like the hardware store and whatnot, those are like any other small town. And I'd say it's probably different than than maybe living in Los Angeles, the greater Los Angeles, because Beverly Hills is incorporated as its own municipality. So it has its own city uh, limits as well as its own uh, jurisdiction. They have their own courthouse and all of the things and and police and fire departments. And, you know, they're they feel very responsible for their constituents and their people. Right. So there it's a it's a definitely a very connected town. It's a beautiful place to live. The pictures of it don't lie. You know, there are a lot of uh large, beautiful homes and beautiful gardens. Um, I happen to be blessed to be born and raised and still currently living in one of the oldest houses in Beverly Hills. It's one of the first houses that were built by the Beverly Hills Hotel. But people don't understand that. There are other types of housing in Beverly Hills. Not everybody lives in a grand villa. There are people who live in, you know, a one-bedroom, two-bedroom apartments. My husband, when he first came to the United States and moved out of his parents' home, lived in Beverly Hills in a studio apartment mm-hmm. by himself as a young, you know, you know, uh, not you know, poor immigrant, you know, right. working. Um, and a lot of people from a lot of different places actually live here. So it's multicultural. There are, you know, like I said, beautiful walking parks. There are places to walk. Uh, within five minutes of here, you can feel like as if you're in the wilderness. There's uh, Franklin Canyon, which is literally a stone's throw from here. And you're out of the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can go hiking and walk your dog and go mountain biking. Uh, and there's a reservoir there. You can see yeah. the ducks and the turtles. People don't quite understand that that there are other things other than that uh, Hollywood, you know, famous uh, veneer. Right. Yeah. Totally. Well, now let me ask Yona because she is the reason why you grew up, uh, were born and grew up in Beverly Hills. So, Yona, uh, why did you actually choose uh, to live in Beverly Hills and how did it affect the quality of your life? Well, as I was mentioning before, and as Selena mentioned, when my little boy was born and started speaking, I had a helper because I I had a business and uh, I needed someone to help me. So uh, this woman was Spanish from Mexico, didn't speak English. And I felt that because I had grown up in Paris, that I would be able to understand her. Mm -hmm. So she was working for me and she was speaking Spanish to my son. 
And I was listening and I was thinking, that means this. So I would say, does that mean that? And she would say, yes, yes, how did you know? So eventually I explained to her that uh, I grew up in a very interesting family. We were survivors of different things. I was a survivor of the German pursuing the idea of eliminating all the Jews in the world. And so I lived in Paris for a while and I educate my education. So my father always stressed, you know, knowledge and education. And so I went to school in Paris. So of course I spoke French and it was very easy to understand Spanish and to sort of adopt, you know, the idea. So when Ari, my son, was like three, I think, he went to nursery school before that, where there were very little children. But when he was sort of the age of um, being curious and asking questions, he started asking questions about things. Some of them I didn't know, and I had to learn to be able to answer. And uh, it reminded me of what my father had taught me that knowledge was the most important thing that wealth you know comes and goes and so forth and some beauty etc so uh, i was at a meeting of some sort and this woman and i said i'm having a problem with my son is in nursery school and um he is learning something and anyway somehow we came to the subject of school. And this lady said to me, I said, I'm having a problem. My son is now started school. And I asked him when he came home the first day, I said, Ari, how was it? And he said, Mom, I went out the window. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> he said, well, it was a beautiful sky with clouds. And the sun was shining. And he described this beautiful picture that he was looking. I said, he said, <laughs> when he said, I went out the window, I, you know, I said, what kind of nonsense is this? And he said, well, it was very boring what okay. the person was talking about. And so I, I already knew whatever she was talking about. And I started looking and I thought to myself, Wow, this Beverly Hills has a beautiful sky. And whatever it was that I was seeing through the window of where I was, which was at that time in nursery school. And he said, and so I said to myself, I'm going to look at the clouds and wonder what kind of composition they are. Well, when he finished describing this first day at school, I was beside myself. I came home and I said, I don't know what we're going to do. This child is going to get into trouble because he is not going to be able to sit with all this nonsense. He needs to learn. And I don't know, this is school, you know, this was kindergarten school, whatever. I don't remember exactly what specifically it was. And then... You know, I talked to some ladies and da, da, da. And they said, well, there's this private school and that private school. And I said, I don't want to send him to a private school. 
And we did. We sent him somewhere in the valley. I don't remember the school. I'm sorry. Somewhere there is a there is a record of it. And he came home and he said, Oh, yeah, it was okay, you know. And I was telling the story to one of the ladies, and she said, you know, Yona, don't try to find a school in the valley or, you know. She said, move to Beverly Hills. I said, what? I mean, I had worked in Beverly Hills. I worked in a different. And I said, what? Beverly Hills? I hear that it's a very expensive area. She said, yeah, but, you know, south of Wilshire, there are places where it's, you could live there. She said, sell your, where do you live? And I said, we live in the Hollywood Hills. And she said, she said, if you want, I, I said, I wanted a public school because I wanted my children to have friends in, within the area where they live. So, you know, because I was a immigrant, I didn't have any friends in the area where I lived. I, so one of the ladies said like this, she said, move to Beverly Hills, sell your house, move to an apartment. I said, really? I mean, I had heard that Beverly Hills was very special. And I remember driving through the area and seeing these very big houses. And it reminded me of some films about, you know, from England, where they had these, uh, where it was in always surrounded by fields. So mm -hmm. it was always land, right. you know, and things. And so I, I came and drove around in Beverly Hills and I sort of liked it, you know, came home and told my husband and I said, we should move to Beverly Hills because I hear that the best public schools are in Beverly Hills. This lady told me, she said, don't listen to anybody. All of these academies, the private academies that they are, promoting, you know, to be different, to be special. Now, send him to a public school in Beverly Hills because that is the best. Mm -hmm. And you did. And so I started looking at possibilities of moving to Beverly Hills. But as, you know, as luck would want, someone gave me something to deliver to someone who lived in this house. Mm. And she belonged to the same organization that I belonged to. And I came and I brought whatever it was that they gave me. And uh, she said, um, we're leaving. We're going to Israel. We're going to, they were from Morocco. Mm. And she said, I feel like we belong where there is a little bit of desert. You know, when you drive up Coldwater Canyon, there are areas that are Similar, you know, nothing is growing. It's kind of, and I said, so you're moving to Israel? She said, yes. And as I passed by, there was a thing standing there and there were these announcements of the sale of the house. Mm -hmm. And I picked one up. And when I went home, I said to my husband, I said, Seymour, we should move to Beverly Hills because... The children, I mean, my child, you know, would be able to have a better school. So they told me. I actually had checked it out with other people that I knew, women in an organization. And they said, yes, yes, they're there. So my husband said, are you crazy? 
I have I have to be on top of the freeway. I, my business is downtown. I have to go to the office every morning, and I can't. And then he found out that one of his very good friends lived very close on the same mountain, the same hill. Mm-hmm. And I was able, and she was a real infant. <laughs> I I was carrying her with me. And um, so when I delivered this, and I saw, I took that page, and I looked at it, and I said to my husband, we should move to Beverly Hills. And he didn't want to because he wanted to uh, be close to the freeway so that he could go to the office. And I convinced him. And we moved here. I re- I bought the house, I think, in 68, but we didn't move in until like 70. 70, what? 69. Okay. So we moved in in 69 because I remodeled. I did some additional uh, things to the house and uh, modified the kitchen, which was very old. And aside from that, I just made things better. And because of that, there were places, you know, where you run into people and they, school you know where you go with your children yes so you meet people and we have lived here for 54 years i think that's a really my long next time. door neighbors are very nice people but we're not close he's a doctor and they belong to to very fine clubs and all of that but their children were older and so we didn't connect you know mm-hmm. connect but the, the the person who lived on this side was an actor, a well-known actor. I, I can't think of his name. <laughs> Wayne Rogers. Wayne Rogers. Okay. He was this. I had been connected to people in the movie industry. And I decided that that wasn't the issue. And that what was the issue was that my son could go to a school where he would be able to have the kind of education that, you know, he needed. That was my motivation. That was a very, very good motivation because depending on where you study, you know, it really affects not only your environment, but you also become a better person. Well, not to become a better person. Well, my feeling was that the people that came to live here, some of them, were um, seeking uh, the kind of um, connection that makes people famous. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if they went back to their place of whatever, that they would say, I live in Beverly Hills, and that would be very meaningful. To me, it was meaningless. It was completely meaningless. The only thing that was important to me was that my son was in an environment where people were learning and that it, that learning was the most knowledge was the most important thing yes that was the the thing that brought me to Beverly Hills yes. it wasn't the glamour it wasn't the the wealth or anything like that but my my father was very happy that yes. my children were showing that they valued knowledge that they valued the fact that they were in place where they could learn yes 
Yes. And over these years, uh, you know, you said you've lived here for 54 years. How would you say uh, Beverly Hills uh, has changed? Well, this is a very important issue because I feel that although it has this, you know, overall uh, idea that very wealthy people live famous and wealthy, it's true. But that's not the thing. The thing is that whenever I have participated in any meetings of people who live in Beverly Hills, it was always about something that was important. Mm -hmm. It was about issues of streets that were cracking. It was an issue of education. It was an issue of uh, the city should be the kind of a city that cares about its people, that cares about its education of your, your children. It, they did have like uh, places where you could get tested when um, COVID mm -hmm. came about. And from for all the years, I felt that the police department was very caring and very interested and it never had any, uh, you know, they didn't, I, I couldn't say that I was ever harassed by, a, you know, although one time I was stopped, I was going too fast down the street and um, he took my license and he looked at it and he said, oh my God, I can't believe you are whatever it was that I was at the time. So as I said, I'm, I'm approaching 90 now and my concerns are the same. I want my children to eat good food. My grandchildren lived here. They, Benji graduated from UCLA, which was pretty close. Yes. So that, you know, if he didn't have a car, so it was like he could get the bus and get to UCLA very easily. You know, I'm happy that we are in California because Maxie is at Santa Barbara, you know, at UC, mm -hmm. you know, the, the university. Yes. So these things were always important to me. And I found out that Beverly Hills was a very wealthy town, but it didn't scare me. You know, it was some of the people that I knew said, are you sure? I mean, you're going to have to buy expensive clothes. And I said, no, I'm a designer. I can make my own. And I feel, you know, that I did the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I can see how it really affected the lives of all of your children yes. so dramatically yes. that they received good education as you wanted for them. And then they oh, you know, become. Let the me tell they are. you, there is a young man who lived around the corner on Crescent and Johnny. And he came in on the same day as I was there with Ari bringing my son. Those boys are friends until today. And yes. you lived in this one home that yes. you found, yes. that you created for yourself. Yes. Yes. So what does this home mean to you? How would everything. you describe everything? Yes. Mm. It's my safety. You know, it's my, my safety where I want to feel safe. I went out into my garden and I was in my robe. And I was looking, I don't remember, I was looking for something that grows in the back there. And all of a sudden, I felt one of my sides of my robe was, was 
hanging. Something was you know, I, on it. Okay. On it, and I thought that a branch may I may have had. And as I went down, I realized that there was a little yellow kitten Aww. that had hung himself on my robe. Well, that's why I wanted to show you. So when we're, <laughs> I will show you that cat comes and lies on me every day in the afternoon. And I have the TV on, I'm watching or I'm reading or I will, you know, and I think about it and it's like he was in the garden. And like I will say to people who work for me, you know, like I have a helper. If I have fruit, you know, if I have lemons, I say, the tree is full of lemons. They're falling. Go get some lemons for yourself. That makes me feel good. Mm. Beautiful. And what would you say is the heart of your home? Where do you like to spend most of your time? Well, I have a very large bedroom that has everything that I need, that has space and is very high, so that sound is very good. And it's my private um, safety hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I've lived there for 54 years yes you know when you say that people are the most important thing for me since I had gone to art school this is my son Mm -hmm. this is my daughter this is a painting that one of my professors wanted me to sit for I have paintings you know all over in the dining room everywhere I don't (laughs) you know I had that's that's just that's Benji the one who's in New York Mm -hmm. now so these are things that make me feel safe. Yes. Do you know, I I moved from one country to another. I had to speak different languages. So that first I spoke Polish and then I was in Germany. So I, I my nannies used to speak German with my parents because they both spoke German. And um, um, I spoke German, you know, and they would be surprised where all of a sudden they would you know, I was in a DP camp, displaced persons camp, and I, the, the, the the workman would come and I would say, I want to borrow your bicycle. And he would say, no, no. Next day he saw me and he came up and he said, get me two camels from the American soldiers. This is 1946, right? Right after the war. Mm-hmm. And I was a little girl, child, you know. And so I went up to the soldiers and I said, please, could I have? And they gave me two camels and I had a bicycle for a whole day. Beautiful. (laughs) Well, Yona, thank you so much for sharing your stories. Uh, It was (laughs) such a pleasure um, talking to you. And uh, thank you for, uh, you know, sharing uh, everything that you did. And also, um, let me ask you one last question. So, what feelings does Beverly Hills exude for you? How do you actually feel being in this city? I feel that Beverly Hills is a true community. That when things happen that need attention from whoever, whether it's neighbors or whether I find it to be a community of people who care. Um, I come in contact with different kinds of people from the very beginning, from the time that I was bringing my children to the uh, 
community, I mean, to the, whether it was school or whether it was to the market or whether it was to a restaurant where we went for hamburgers, it was always a community that felt that it cared. Mm -hmm. You know, the waitresses cared, Uh, you know, they would come, do you want another piece of, you know? And so I I felt good. I am not super close with my next door neighbors, their children were older, but we are good, pe- good, good friends, good, good friends, people watching out for each other. Right. That's the so most I felt that if I needed them, they were there for me. Yes. They would help me. They would not, you know, like discard me and say, uh, "I'm sorry, you know, you're not who I'm not. I'm not rich. I'm not wealthy. I'm not, you know, you know, I have." I have lent my house for different community needs. And, uh, you know, if if you have a, uh, what do you call that? A It's on the tip of my tongue and I can't think of it. When you raise money okay. for different issues. Fundraising. Fundraising. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. Um, yeah. Different fundraising. Come, you know. Wonderful. Yeah. So it looks like you found not only a place where you belong here in Beverly Hills, you know, this yes. uh, famous name, you know, on the map, right? but actually a place that gives you this uh, sense of community. Yes. yes. And then you created this yes. whole world in yes. this house. And yes. sounds like you've had a really good life. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. It was a wonderful conversation and I really appreciate you sharing your life my with pleasure. me and with the listeners. And it's my pleasure. Until next time. Yes. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed experiencing Beverly Hills with my special guests Yona Kunstler Nadelman and Selena Nadelman. Please press the like button, follow and share your feedback for the podcast. Your time and support are greatly appreciated. Next time, we're going to experience the iconic old Hollywood restaurant, Musso and Frank Grill. See you there! In the mood for California. Feel the soul of old Hollywood.